You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson, I'm the editor of Renew Economy. Joining me as usual is ITK analyst David Leach. David, how are you? I'm very well, thanks Giles, and I trust our special guest today is also well. I'm hoping so too. Um, That is Kane Thornton, the Chief Executive of the Clean Energy Council. Kane, um, how are you and thanks for joining us. Hi Giles, hi David. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Look, um, we've got you on board um, today because you've got the Clean Energy Summit this week, which I guess is um, probably the keynote event, um, at least at the bigger end of town for the clean energy industry. Um, You've got a lot of people turning up. Yeah, the uh, the events, um, I think, very well timed. So uh, the gala dinner's sold yes. out and uh, tickets are selling very, very quickly for uh, for the rest of the event. So a lot to uh, a lot to talk about, I think. And so we're expecting a lot of people there. Well, let's have a little bit of a chat about some of those issues. And I guess the big issue right now is the National Energy Guarantee. Um, it has to be said that the clean energy industry has probably never had it better for the last two years. It's um, invested an extraordinary amount, lots of projects going up everywhere, lots of investment, but the future is clouded. And the big debate is over the National Energy Guarantee, should we or shouldn't we? Yeah, the, the event's perfectly timed for a, a, a juicy discussion and debate about the energy guarantee, given... Uh, it's only a couple of weeks until the Coag Energy Council meeting, which will uh, obviously um, uh, deliberate, discuss, debate further on the, the energy guarantee. Um, you know, you're right, it's been an extraordinary last couple of years for the industry, unprecedented levels of investment and project activity underway at the moment. And, you know, what the outlook is over the next sort of three uh, to 10 years is really. Uh, much less certain, and I guess therefore the the energy guarantee is is really pretty pretty front of mind. And it's going to be a juicy discussion, isn't it? Because there's you know there's sort of really sort of quite polar opposite views there. Just just repeat the outline for the Clean Energy Council's take, because I think everyone just, everyone understands um, or everyone agrees that the emission reduction target that um, goes with the energy guarantee under the current government is just clearly not adequate. I guess the big debate is about well whether you have a policy or you don't have this policy. Yeah, I I think that's right. I mean, yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone's any under any illusion that uh, a twenty six percent emissions reduction target for the energy sector is going to do much as far as driving in new investment. You know, I think all of the the analysis suggests that uh, that target is either already met by twenty twenty or will be met very shortly thereafter. Uh, and and you're right. The real the real question then is becomes um, on that basis, would we be prefer the architecture to be in place uh, so that a future government or at a future point in time that target could be dialed up and the, the policy could take effect. And uh, this is a judgment, I guess, that's, that's a pretty, it's a pretty difficult one, but um, uh, I've spent uh, the last many weeks consulting with members uh, right around the country in a whole range of different forums in different ways. And uh, the conclusion is is very clear from my perspective, and that is that the clean energy industry would rather have the architecture in place than not have it in place. And I guess that's on, you know, that rests on a number of assumptions. Uh, one of those is that the architecture itself is, uh, is scalable and workable. And you know, we think, I think credit where credit's due, the Energy Security Board has done a, a pretty good job in 
uh, working through some of the detail around the architecture, um, uh, you know, ironing out some of the bugs, um, putting in place, I guess, an architecture that we think is pretty robust and could be pretty effective in the future. And I guess most importantly, um, is, is an architecture that could be scalable uh, with a different level of emissions target. Um, it could be ramped up uh, to actually deliver new investment for the for the sector so really i guess that's the that's the judgment we've made we'd rather all things being equal we'd rather have the architecture in place uh in sort of months uh, and years ahead um accepting that uh, at some point in time in the future uh, we're going to see a, a more realistic and ambitious emissions reduction target and and that'll then then really drive uh new investment into the sector from that policy Kane, um, I guess that wouldn't be a unanimous view. I guess I also look to John Grimes at the Smart Energy Council, and he uh, takes a, a, a more um, negative view of it, frankly. Um, Does your membership overlap across the two bodies? Uh, it, it, it probably overlaps only a little bit. Um... Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say uh, most of John's members are sort of the smaller, the smaller end of town, which by definition, I guess, are companies that are more impacted by the small scale scheme rather than sort of the, the large scale uh, long term investment climate. Uh, I mean, you're right in terms of, you know, there's obviously different views on, on this. And I think what's important to note is that this is as much a, a political judgment as it is a policy judgment. Now, uh, you know, everyone will form their own views on the policy architecture itself and how well it could work. And yeah, there's still some issues to be to be worked through, you know, things like the level of transparency from the emissions register and some of the reliability uh, contracting uh, detail, etc. Um, but really, you know, a judgment uh, in relation to uh, whether as an industry we should support the architecture now is as much about politics as it is policy, and therefore, you know, there's no there's no single view. Uh, there's no um, you know, no one has no one has a monopoly on what the future political scenarios are. Uh, but it's very clear for me. As I said, I spent a lot of time consulting uh, consulting with members, and it's very clear the vast majority of uh, investors in the sector would rather an architecture in place on an assumption that it could be dialed up uh, more quickly into the future. And I, I think we've seen that with things like the renewable energy target over the last 15 years. The architecture has endured over uh, that 15 year period. There's been a few sort of relatively minor tweaks to the architecture on the way through. Uh, most of the debate has been in relation to the level of ambition. And I guess, you know, in, in some ways, uh, once those debates on ambition is settled, if the architecture is enduring, then industry can move very, very quickly. And I think that's that's what we saw as a consequence of the the RET deal that was stuck into struck in 2015. The investment that's now that's now flowing. So yeah, look, of course, there's different views out there. Anytime you um, have to form a view on sort of political scenarios, everyone everyone will have a different view, but. Um, you know, we've consulted deeply across the industry. Um, I spend a lot of time talking to a whole range of uh, political stakeholders across all political parties, um, you know, at, at the highest levels. And uh, we haven't made that judgment lightly. But in my view, it's very clearly uh, the right way forward for the industry at this moment in time. And clearly, it's not ideal. You know, we're, 
we're back in a pretty frustrating situation, massive momentum for the sector. Uh, and the government of the day is putting forward a, an emissions target that frankly will do um, nothing for the industry anytime, anytime soon. But uh, on balance, we'd rather the architecture in place at this moment in time than not having architecture. Have you had a chance to have a look at the uh, latest ESB document and the uh, kind of uh, modelling conclusions that are presented there? Uh, look, I'm um, sort of working my way through the, the ESB's latest, um, latest paper. Um, you know, again, I think if you, if you look at some of the architecture, I, I think they've, they're sort of creeping forward on, um, on some of the, the complexity around the, the policy. Again, I haven't assessed all of it. Um, I think, I mean, firstly noting most of our major concerns really rest with the policy decisions of the government rather than the architecture from the ESB and, you know, issues like offsets, issues like um, uh, the government's proposed timeline for future reviews and obviously the emissions target are the big deal. You know, you reference the modelling. I mean, frankly, um, I don't pay too much attention to uh, to modelling that goes alongside this this policy. I mean, firstly, to note, you know, I think certainly the modelling that has done to date um, suggests uh, power price reductions um, into the future. And I think you need to be very, very clear that obviously uh, the investment that's underway at the moment, driven by the renewable energy target, and as we know, there's more to come between now and 2020, that very clearly is driving down wholesale power prices and will have an effect uh, into the next decade from a power price perspective. Um, and equally, uh, you know, I think all analysis shows that the NEG in and of itself with a 26% abatement target won't um, deliver uh, much, if any, new investment. And so, you know, modelling that uh, either contradicts those two or, or doesn't uh, demonstrate those two probably isn't worth the uh, uh, worth the paper that it's printed on, frankly. What's, what's the problem about not having any architecture then? Because um, given that the cost of renewables has probably come down very much and you're probably seeing lots of contracts now that don't actually have the price of, uh, or don't actually factor much of, of a value for the LGCs, if any at all, and certainly a couple of years hence, um, that'll, that'll certainly be the case for just about everything. Um, what's, what's, what, what's the problem with not having an architecture? Because if you do have a change of government with a higher target, then there's also all sorts of other means that they could use to actually get there. Um, David's favourite me mechanism, the um, you know, a series of auctions, which yep. incidentally is canvassed by the ACCC. Um, do we really have to have a, a architecture which is suspect? Yeah, well, it's, it's a good point, Giles, and it's something we've thought deeply about. I mean, I think... A couple points to make. Firstly, is uh, even um, if whether we've got the neg in place uh, with the very low abatement target or we have no neg, investment in my view will continue to flow. Um, clearly, the states and territories, uh, you know, have got a number of. Obviously, Victoria is the most well progressed at, at this stage after the ACT uh, with their scheme. Queensland obviously have got some pretty strong commitments. So you know, I, I think regardless, we'll continue continue to see state governments, state and territory governments play an important role and drive in new investment. Uh, obviously, we're, you know, we're seeing a real shift towards uh, the corporate PPA market, uh, big businesses, big energy users, small businesses, etc., all continuing to take up uh, contracts or offtake agreements or indeed install their own renewables. So, so I think that will, that will continue irrespective. And indeed, I think, as you said, 
And I expect there will continue to be some level of projects that just go ahead based on the current market fundamentals. I think the real, you know, the real challenge we've got though is that all of that together uh, may, you know, as I said, I think that will deliver new investment in some parts of the country at some moments in time over the years ahead. But if we're sort of genuine about transforming the energy sector, we're genuine about wanting to have a, you know, a steady, sustainable growth path for the clean energy sector, then, uh, you know, I think we can do better than that. And that's why we continue to look for um, federal policy that's strong, that's clear, and, and probably most importantly, that's bipartisan. And I think to your, to your question... Gee, when, when, when are we ever going to get that? <laughs> well, it, it, I think that's right, except to say, um, at the moment, we have an opportunity to get bipartisanship on the architecture. Now, that doesn't come across all that often, and, and granted, it's bipartisanship on the level of ambition that's, mm -hmm. that's probably the more important thing. But again, if we reflect back on the renewable energy target, bipartisanship on the architecture makes it easier uh, at some point in time to either get bipartisanship on ambition or indeed to deliver uh, that, that higher level of ambition if and when it uh, comes into the future. See, I, I'm not even that keen on the architecture, Kane. I, I don't think this sort of architecture is used anywhere else in the world as, that I'm aware of. Um, that would be uh, point one. Emissions intensity schemes don't have a great um, sort of uh, reputation and making reliability the responsibility of uh, retailers uh, rather than of the system is something I'm also uh, it's an it's an indication that the system the market isn't working properly if it was working properly retailers would look after reliability for themselves so I, I, I actually question how durable and enduring the architecture will be but you mentioned that you referenced the politics and I, I note that the federal opposition, Mark Butler, has basically said at the moment, although he doesn't really have a seat at the COAG table, of course, that, that he won't be able to support things with the target as it is. Whereas what I hear you saying is that even with the target as it is, the, the Clean Energy Council uh, will, will be advocating uh, to COAG, essentially, that they vote in favour of it. Yeah, that, that, that's exa exactly right. So um, our view is we would rather the architecture in place, and I, you know, I accept some some of the points that you've you made there, David. I mean, you know, we we don't necessarily think this is the the first best um, policy architecture, um, but uh, on balance, you know, we we think it, it is an architecture that could work and has potential into the future. And on balance, we'd rather the architecture in place, uh, accepting that the, the current proposed abase, abatement target uh, is, is inadequate. Can I just jump in there and just find out, ask what the rush is? Because we seem to have this deadline of August the 10th um, imposed by Josh Frydenberg, the, co the, the Federal um, uh, Environment and Energy Minister. Wouldn't it just be a better idea just to sort of put it off for a bit and, and, and just see if we can sort of work through some of those issues? Well, see, yeah. that's the politics, you know, uh, Giles, in my opinion. It's because uh, Frydenberg wants to have something he can take to the next election. He wants to take electricity policy off the table. It, it is all about the politics. It's really nothing to do with electricity. It's nothing to do with clean energy. It's just about taking a political issue off the table. Yeah, and I, I think um, yeah, I, I think August ten is a, a an arbitrary from my perspective, an arbitrary date. I think noting, you know, in our view, 
it's just another another stepping stone. I think it's clear that the legislation uh, for the energy guarantee would have to come back at a later stage. And, and I, I understand that there's already been discussions about a, a Coag Energy Council meeting into September to, you know, to, to look at the next level of next level of detail. I mean, the, the ESB, I think, has done a, a good job of making progress. But frankly, the, the timelines that they were working towards were just, you know, the, the, they, were, they were just absurd, really. And so I, I think August 10 will just be another check in on, you know, and in principle, is this thing pointing in the right direction and, and are um, states and territories comfortable with it progressing? There's obviously negotiations sort of taking place. Well, that's place interesting, in isn't it? Just time around that as, as well. Yeah, well, that's really interesting then. So you're suggesting it won't be the final, um, you know, um, yes or no on August the 10th. You're saying it will be pushed further down the road for further discussion. Yeah, well, well, I think so. I mean, at the end of the day, there is some, some pretty crucial, there is some pretty crucial detail that's still being discussed and negotiated and you know I think we've we've seen that from from uh, Minister Frydenberg in the last week or so in relation to the the government's policy elements there's already been some concessions made in terms of uh, timing of future reviews you know I think there's I know the states and territories are still considering their position and understanding the details so I think August 10 will be another another sort of step along the along the road obviously states and territories will want to uh, see the legislation and fully understand the legislation. I think they'll also want to see uh, essentially the colour of the money from the, the Commonwealth and have some assurances in terms of ultimately what uh, emissions abatement target and what conditions might be attached to that, um, mm -hmm. that the Minister can actually um, get through both the party room and ultimately the Parliament um, uh, because that's obviously an important part of the, the entire package. And, and Kane, I, I, I think uh, Dr. Lynam or Anthony Lynam in Queensland pretty much said the same thing, but what is the status of the international credits? The legislation uh, or the ESB document that I saw made allowance for them, but I, I don't believe the federal government's actually come to uh, announce the decision on that yet, has it? Uh, so um, I understand. So, so I mean, obviously, the architecture and the, the ESB is sort of just saying, well, this is a matter for the Commonwealth. I, I think as far as they're concerned, uh, the architecture will allow and facilitate uh, emissions permits in, in whatever form the Commonwealth determines. Uh, as I understand, it's been reported that the proposal put to states and territories was to have a limit of 5% uh, of um, carbon permits eligible and those permits only coming from domestic sources and not international sources that that's as i understand what's been certainly reports you know that's, uh, de that's, that's definitely what's in the document yeah mm. i've seen the document and, and that's um that's definitely the case and um, yeah interestingly bizarrely from green energy markets did a really interesting analysis um for us last week just sort of talking about some of the issues there which are which are reasonably technical but um i mean i guess one of the same the main things is is that um being able to satisfy 5% of your target through permits, and if the target's only 1% or 2%, then um, they can go off and plant some trees rather than build some wind and solar farms. So, Yeah, um, and look, our, our position on this is, has been very clear, which is we don't support uh, the inclusion of offsets. It, it, right. it, ju it just doesn't make sense to us in, in the spirit of this is a policy that's supposed to be obviously addressing emissions, uh, but also... Uh, driving down power prices and improving reliability, and, uh, and for, for, for every credit for every credit that you allow into the scheme, 
uh, essentially that's one unit less of new investment you'll have and it's that new investment that's critical to driving down power prices and, and ensuring uh, a reliable, reliable supply when old coal keeps coming out of the generation system. So Josh Frydenberg is speaking at the dinner event, I think, on the Tuesday night. Um, what's your first question going to be to him? Well, well I'm, I'm not asking the question, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, I can, but I can assure you this is a, this is a topic of, of plenty of interest. And I, I think, you know, that at the end of the day, this is, this is one of those areas, I think, of, of continued negotiation. And, you know, I think certainly the states and territories who are driving clean energy into their, into their jurisdictions realise that... Uh, offsets don't really make much sense in this scheme and I think they'll continue to push the government and negotiate um, offsets to be excluded from the, from the scheme. Well, you see, this is the point. I mean, in the end, the state governments at the moment still have some negotiating power. Uh, once they give uh, further approval to it, essentially all the decisions have been made and you can say you don't like A and you don't like B. It's a bit like me discussing the, the house renovation with the wife. I mean, uh, you know, I can say I don't like this and I don't like that, but once we've agreed to do it, who cares what I like or don't like? It's all pretty much set and, until it gets changed in federal parliament, which and we know that changing anything in federal parliament um, is, is historically a very difficult process. Well, of, of, of course, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, noting that... Um uh, the clean energy industry isn't a member of the COAG Energy Council, but also noting that ultimately uh, what's proposed to the federal parliament, I mean, the Liberal Party or the coalition will need to negotiate um, to get their legislation through the, through the federal parliament. Now, whether that's with the federal ALP or whether that's with a crossbench, I think there's some, some um, you know, there's obviously a lot more sort of twists and turns as far as that negotiation to come. And I think that's part of the why, the reason why, you know, we're certainly urging states and territories to say, well, yes, um, there's an in principle commitment to, to moving ahead, but, you know, let's not go ahead and agree to the legislation and put the legislation in place for the architecture until we're clear on what the, uh, the conditions are, or what the qualifications are on the federal on the federal legislation. So there, there's going to be a bit of a chicken and egg uh, sort of negotiation on this over the months over the months ahead. And, and Kane, we've talked a lot about, uh, and, and Charles has probably got more questions about about the neg. No, I don't. <laughs> I, I just wondered what else uh, has been on your mind, Kane, recently. What, what have you been thinking about uh, once all this neg stuff is going to be on your agenda? Once all this neg stuff is either done or not done? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a sort of strange situation. We're spending a lot of time on the the neg. Um, in reality, there's an extraordinary amount happening in the industry. Uh, there's a lot of change taking place. Um, you know, I mentioned the states and territories. I think regardless of, you know, neg or no neg, uh, the states and territories are going to continue to have a big role. And, you know, um, uh, VRET in Victoria is sort of working its way through and heading towards a decision point. We've got an election coming up in, in Victoria a bit uh, in only a, a number of months' time. Uh, obviously, Queensland sort of progressing with their uh, their policy a little bit slowly at the moment. But um, so... There's obviously plenty of work and consultation that we're doing in those areas, but the, the probably the big one is really in relation to the network. Um, yes, uh, this is the question that I had actually, a um, story that uh, Renew Economy has been working on for the last couple of days, and um, 
um, this is about the connection um, agreements for new wind and solar farms, and it looks like that there's a, um, a bit of a roadblock happening for, for many of these projects. Yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's a lot of change taking place at the moment, and, and to a certain degree, um, some of this is a result of the Finkel Review and the, you know, the, the 49 recommendations that the Finkel Review put forward, and you know, things like the uh, integrated system plan that AEMO released a, a week or two ago, you know, we think are, are good, strong steps forward. Uh, but there's a lot of technical change occurring as well, and in particular in relation to uh, the requirements, the uh, performance requirements on new generation into the system. This is a, it's a very complex area, um, uh, but it's an area that's getting a lot of attention at the moment. And I think really in the spirit of the market operator looking at how they essentially manage the system um, and the implications of a lot more new renewable energy coming in and, and essentially the obligations are being put on new renewable generators uh, through that connection process. So there seems to be a couple of different views going on here. One is that there's a bit of overreach and um, um, by the networks and the um, Australian energy market operator. Uh, there's also a view that there's um, been a lot of development which really hasn't taken into consideration the obvious, which is you know network limitations and um, the competition from other nearby projects. Um, but it does seem to be the case that there's a fair few out there which have been told that um, you're either going to be seriously curtailed or you're going to have to have new bits of machinery with your plant, which be, could be batteries or it could be synchronous condensers. And this is actually going to result in a lot of these projects actually being delayed. Yeah, I think it's fair to say we're, we're playing a bit of catch-up in this, in this area. And, I mean, on one level, I think the market operator is paying much more attention to... Uh, you know how these new projects and technologies are being connected up to the system, and you know I think that's that's overdue and and to a large degree is is welcome, but I think we do need to just be careful. Firstly, that you know some of the some of the issues and challenges in the system, like frequency or voltage control, they're not they're not new issues, uh, and indeed the incumbent generators play a, a material role in. Uh, how voltage and frequency is controlled, and so we just need to be careful. We're not, you know, we're not just moving all the responsibility and the obligation onto new generators uh, who just happen to be connecting to the system at a point in time where uh, the market operator and the network businesses are sort of identifying and coming coming to terms with an issue that's been around for a long time. Uh, of course, noting and accepting that, I mean, what we're, you know, the, these new renewable technologies are highly sophisticated. Uh, they've got an incredible amount of capability and, and they actually can contribute positively to the system. They certainly, in other countries around the world, you know, um, uh, I think industry is used to some, you know, different requirements and playing a greater role. So it, it's not, you know, it's not all, um, it's not all downside. There is capability that can be used but I think we are we are nervous at the moment that you know the pendulum's sw swinging pretty quickly here. There's a lot of projects that have progressed on a certain set of assumptions around the performance requirements. You know, investments have been made uh, in those projects, and to sort of spring changes on those uh, projects late in the game uh, is certainly you know presents a pretty big risk and could be very problematic. So we've got a lot of consultation underway at the moment between the industry, uh, the market operator and the network businesses to try and understand each other, 
you know, what's capable, what problem we're trying to solve for, and how genuinely we can uh, we can move forward. Yeah, I understand there was a meeting at, um, a, at the CEC offices last week with the um, AEMO, and um, there's about 100 people turned up. Um, such was the um, importance of the issue. What was the feeling as um, people wandered away? Yeah, it's it's a big issue. You know, if you're if you've been developing a project uh, that's sort of getting closer to commercial close or uh, or going through the connection process, and, and all of a sudden the goalposts, uh, you know, potentially will be moved. Then, gee, it's, it's a it's a big deal. And you know, for these businesses, it's a bigger deal than, you know, uh, neg or no neg or some of the other some of the other issues. So there's a, there's a lot of consultation going at the moment. Yeah, I think everyone's we're in a phase of sort of I think everyone's listening, learning, understanding different perspectives to make sure. You know, I guess our assumption is common sense will prevail, and we'll find some sensible ways of you know changing some of the the connection requirements in a way that means renewables contribute more positively to the system um but but ultimately you know um that they're not sort of chopped off at the knees or the goalposts don't radically move on them late in the game and 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 so do i mean when do you expect to get some uh, progress on this and uh, you know i'm i'm not sure not technical enough really to understand whether synchronous condensers and things like that are the answer for the network strength issues in in victoria but but um we've you know we've been worried about the network issues for ages here and i was saying that they always take a lot longer to sort out than the actual build the actual plants so it's uh, i guess unsurprising to see emissions issues emerging there yeah i i think in some ways that you know this is a result of uh, not enough attention and reform to you know how we um, plan, how we integrate, how we invest in in new um, network infrastructure. And as I said, the ISP, I think, starts to point us in the right direction. Um, you know, unfortunately, there is a risk that all of that, you know, that the progress has been really slow. These these have long lead times. And well, that's that's the issue for some of these plants. I mean, the the answer for them may be in strengthened networks, but they're going to have to wait five or seven years for that. Yep. And if they want to get away in the meantime, then they're going to have to have, add something like synchronous condensers, which, you know, for a hundred and something million dollar solar plant would cost them about eight to ten million dollars. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky issue and it's a, a pr pretty high risk for, for parts, yeah. key parts of the industry. So, um, you know, we're, we're giving a lot of attention, a lot of focus at, at the moment, as I said, hopefully a kind of sensible common sense middle ground way forward can be can be found um you know I, I guess we'll watch this space over the next sort of couple of months we're doing a bit of a story on that um for a new economy um on monday so for those who want to find out more about that they can go there um kane look we should wrap this up pretty quickly but just give us some um, anything else coming out of the clean energy council um, summit that um, that is not neg and not network connections. <laughs> uh, look a, a lot. I mean, there, there was a lot of you know, they're some of the sort of high profile uh, bits. Um, some of them, the neg probably in particular is probably disproportionately high profile. Oh, look, there's a lot of discussion, you know, things like um, social license and how does the industry be that, you know, the rooftop solar industry or, or large scale wind and solar projects, how do they work with the community? A lot of learning, a lot of you know development effort going on going on there. You know the really exciting discussions about the sort of future of the energy system. You know uh, digital trading platforms, the Internet of Energy. What does all that mean for business models? How's the regulatory environment evolving? You know where are the opportunities? Where are the challenges? So 
we're we're certainly not short of uh, of things to things to talk about, and they're just some of the some of the topics. You know, I think some of the technology innovations that are occurring, some of the sort of customer solutions, corporate PPAs. There's there's a lot happening in the industry. It's a really really exciting point in time. David, you got anything else to add? Anything else strike your list before we um, wave goodbye? Well, it's getting late, but I just hope it's still exciting in two years because it, uh, most industries go through boom and busts. And whether you accept the um, ESB's modelling, which I don't, which talks about seven years of falling prices essentially, and uh, or network constraints or saturation in the rooftop solar sector, uh, there are, I think there are, the industry should be um, uh, looking pretty hard at whether the next couple of years will be as good as the past couple. I, ho- I certainly hope they are. Uh, but no industry goes up in a straight line. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. There's, uh, yeah, there's cause for a lot of optimism, but there are a lot of challenges where I think we're right at the pointy end of the, of the sort of industry disruption, and, uh, and that, yeah, that, that's going to mean plenty of challenges, no, no question. Well, we look forward to it. Um, Kane, um, thanks for joining us today. Um, good talk and uh, look forward to the conference and um, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Good. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, David. Pleasure to be here. Good on you. And thanks to our sponsors, Solaray Energy and Watt Watches. And um, David, um, go to the conference and um, back again next week and have another chat. We'll keep working away. Good on you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Watt Watches makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs, accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.